Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 467 with Paul Durham. I think you'll love this chat because I've heard that some of y'all feel confused, puzzled, torn, indecisive about where you're going and stuff. Well, Paul has got some goods and some tools to help you develop some good clarity and purpose and vision stuff. So you'll learn one, the wonders of guided journaling. Two, how to get your days to lead to your desired future. And three, why you need to involve others to get to your vision. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep467. Now here's Paul's story. Paul Durham's passion for studying models of human development expresses itself in his mentoring and executive coaching. After earning a degree in philosophy from Overland College and teaching in the Oakland Public Schools, he embarked on a career as a successful musician in Los Angeles, releasing albums on major labels, receiving widespread radio play, and appearing on film and TV soundtracks. He developed a fan base that persists to this very day. Always entrepreneurial, he parlayed his industry experience into a variety of businesses, including commercial music production, song licensing, and ringtones. Now 50 years old and the father of a teenage son, he's blended his comprehensive experiences into executive coaching and programs designed to help people find their paths and take flight. Thanks to Paul for hanging out with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Paul. Paul, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. You're welcome, Pete. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we have so much fun stuff to dig into, but I want to go to a moment in which you said your band was playing and you had 70,000 people throwing mud at you. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> well, that might be a bit of an exaggeration. It was more like, it was more like only the thousand people in front were throwing mud at us or... 2000, it seemed. Were they pleased or angry? Why were they <laughs> throwing the mud? You know, we were in Florida. It was a little bit of a mystery. Uh, my, it was 1998. My band was on tour. We had a song on MTV and a song in the top 40, I think top five, like rock and alternative tracks. So we were playing all these big radio festivals. You know, we were opening for Foo Fighters and Green Day and all these kind of uh, classic 90s band. And when we hit the stage in Florida... They seemed like they liked us, but I think it had rained. And I think uh, throwing a little bit of mud at the band was just kind of part of the fun, <laughs> which is not so great, you know, when you're playing like a $4,000 vintage, uh, you know, electric guitar, which 
We were young. We didn't know better at the time. <laughs> you take your crappy guitars out on tour with you. But anyway, my bass player got very irritated. And then finally, at some point, threw the whole audience the finger and waved his arms in the universal signal for bring it on. And a black cloud of mud descended on us from, from the air. And yeah, we were basically covered in mud and we just played all the louder and <laughs> harder at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, was any of the equipment destroyed? Uh, um, no, but our poor crew guy was up all night pulling mud out of like the hollow body and the drums. That's just the glory. That's the glamour of rock and roll, huh? <laughs> well, I had our manager kick him an extra couple hundred bucks because he it was really above and beyond. We were idiots. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so you've gone from, well, we have all kinds of fun points of intersection. Uh, you use my podcast microphone, the Shure Beta 87A, when you're singing on stage. I do. Which is cool. On stage, yes. And so that makes me feel all the more validated. Thank you for that. <laughs> And I became aware of you from my father-in-law. Yes. He said, you do some really cool stuff with year one education, which is for younger people, but I think there's so many parallels and valuable takeaways. So could you orient us to what do you do there and what kind of results do you see there? Well, I've been in the music business for 25 years. I've relied on mentors. And so when the sons and daughters of my friends get interested in the music business and, you know, their parents don't know what to do. They ask me if I can mentor them, which I'm always really happy to do and uh, have been doing for years. And then several years ago, a friend of mine said, can I hire you to coach my son? He wants to drop out of college and go become a professional musician. And I had been meeting with this kid and I recognized that some of my advice may have uh, influenced... <laughs> <laughs> this decision, which I then went into a moral panic. And I was like, yes, I will coach your son. And I was like, he was like, well, how much should I pay you? I said, I have no idea. So he said, how about $40,000? That's what I'm spending on his uh, private school. And I was like, well, that seems like a bit much, but uh, <laughs> how about half that? <laughs> so then I went home and realized, oh, I need to create a curriculum to justify charging money for this thing that I've been doing for years. And in um, creating that curriculum, I got really excited about the idea of creating a framework for young people who are smart and ambitious and interested in things, but maybe not the best fit for going to college. Not ready to go work at the 7-Eleven either, but something in between. And, and then I really started realizing that pretty much kids who are going to college as well should probably take a year They've been in school for 13 years, like three quarters of their lives. Maybe they just want to take a year, figure a few things out, get some experience under their belt, grow up a little bit, you know, get some skills so that when they do head to college and they, and they face the culture shock of being totally responsible for themselves, their eating, their bedtimes, their homework, you know, they're not in school eight hours a day and studying two hours a night. They're in school for two hours a day day and need to be studying, you know, a lot of the rest of that time. That's a big shock that maybe if they went through a program and got some preparation that they would be much more likely to be successful in college, which is good given how incredibly expensive college has become three times more expensive than when you and I were in school in adjusted dollars. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I understand that as you engage these folks, 
well, you see some real transformation. So could you maybe tell us a tale or two that illustrates this? Well, it's such a great age, 18, 19, 20, um, where people, you know, especially the way we raise kids these days, they've really been under our thumb. That's how I raise my son too. It's sad, but true. Um, you know, we're really kind of over managing our children in such a way that when they hit 18, a lot of them don't know very much about the real world. And so, um, you know, for example, um, Kaito, this friend's son of mine, um, he was, you know, really unclear about paying rent, about getting a checking account, about how often the oil needed to be changed in his car, et cetera. And when we, and when we sat down, we started to work some of those out and started to help him get clear about his vision to show him, you know, give, plug him into a really effective, powerful time management system um, and get him responsible for his money and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, he really just started to blossom in a way. And, and we might think, oh, well, that's something that parents should handle. But I think we underestimate the fact that the degree to which teenagers don't listen to their parents, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, as a culture, we have disconnected young people from mentors and, you know, we're a hyper social species like bees and ants. We, we need more than just our parents to get ourselves raised into full adulthood. We need mentorship. And so I started to recognize the power of having someone that a kid could rely on that could hold them, you know, hold them accountable. And in Kaito's case, um, he went from, you know, mastering a lot of kind of basic life skills uh, into getting clear about what kind of music uh, he wanted to record and then going through a transition of, of of connecting with him with a mentor in the music business who was a string player like himself. And he started doing publishing chores and uh, kind of administration for that guy and, and and soon discovered, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. I don't want to play music. I want to be in the business of music, which was a big, remarkable shift for him that he went through. And then he just really got lit up. He just started reading music business books like crazy. This was a kid. We couldn't even get him to read a novel. And now he's reading music business books. He's reading personal development books because he he, he found that fire that, you know, I think most of us have experienced it at different points in our life that pointed him in a direction and, and he just really went crazy. Mm-hmm. And so to what extent do you see similarity carryover in terms of professionals who are in their twenties, thirties, forties and the teenagers? I think it's really more similar than we would think. You know, I do executive coaching with um, real estate developers and uh, corporate guys in Silicon Valley. And I think we have this idea that we're going to figure out what we're really good at. And that once we figure out what we're good at, we're just going to keep doing that. It's kind of this old industrial model where you're going to work a job and then get a gold watch at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's how people actually are. I think passion is a moving target. And that as we work and as we master things, those uh, passions shift and we become more interested in other things. And so really getting clear about vision you know, everybody talks about this, but spending the time going deep, 
going deep over time and continuing to develop that clarity of vision is so important in people staying connected to their work, staying connected to their job, staying connected to that business that they started that they love and now they're tired of. You know, staying connected to that role in in their corporation that they were so excited to get, and it was so interesting for a few years, and now it's just not. It's it's not that interesting, and it's like we blame ourselves because for not being good cogs. But the fact is, is that our 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 vision and our interests have evolved, but we have not kept up in terms of our awareness of that uh, that evolution, and by you know. So for me, when I, when I work with an, you know, uh, an adult, it really begins with the clarity, the excavation and the definition of vision. So we can start from there. Right. Well, so let's hear just that. So how do you go about getting that clarity and excavating a vision? Well, I do a lot of uh, guided journaling. Um, I think writing is very powerful. I think when a client is talking to me or they're talking to their wife or husband or they're talking to their therapist or their boss, uh, people bend themselves um, depending on who it is that they're speaking to. But when you're writing on pages and no one else is ever going to see, you don't have to bend yourself. It's the one safe space in which you can receive feedback from the person who knows you best, which is you. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't like to tell people what to do a lot. It's tempting as a coach because it's fun to exercise power. But, <laughs> you know, what I really try to do is to create frameworks in which people, in which I draw out of people what they know, the wisdom that they have and the clarity that they have, which we just don't take time in our cell phone, Netflix, drive into work kind of world. We just don't take time. We got kids, we got jobs, it's stressful. And if we don't take that time, we don't get the level of clarity that we really need to to connect to our hearts and then to connect our hearts to our work. So yeah, I would say guided journaling, conversation, inquiry, really, you know, asking why, asking, um, okay, so, you know, you created this situation, where, where is the benefit in it for you? Or maybe there isn't a benefit. Okay, so what else would you want? What else would you imagine? If you gave yourself permission, you know, to really, you know, what if failure wasn't an option? What would your life look like? What would you try? What would you, you know, just really kind of get people to expand beyond their their survival emotional status that, that is arising for all of us week by week and get into more of a, of a visionary space where something else is possible, something different is possible. Mm-hmm. And so with the guided journaling, yeah, is it your view that, you know, pen and paper is superior than digital media? Absolutely. I mean, maybe it's because I've been scribbling songs and notebooks for 30 years, but I have a huge prejudice against uh, uh, typing when it comes to really connecting um, to the, the deepest part of ourselves. I, I think, you know, we're a lot, this culture is like brains on a stick and, and we're not brains on a stick. We are bodies. We are bodies and, and the brain is a part of the body. So for me, writing is really a great way that I find that I can connect to the wisdom of the body by moving my body, by moving my hand across the page and having to navigate the whole physicality of it, I, I think that that actually evokes a lot of, uh, of yeah, just the body's deeper wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
And so you, you sort of mentioned a number of those questions pretty quickly, but could you highlight, you know, one or two or three that just seem to open up the floodgates of uh, self-awareness and insight quite frequently? Yeah, it's a lot of different things. You know, I, I have people do a five-year exercise where, you know, like you describe the life that you're living five years from now. Um you know, what kind of sheets are you sleeping in? What kind of house do you live in? Who's beside you? Uh, what, you know, what is, what do you do for a living? What do you do with your days? You know, what's your, uh, physical exercise like? What's your diet like? What, you know, what is your, what, what is your life like in detail so that people can really get a sense of there is a desire in my heart for a life that I have not yet achieved. And not that it's all about more, better, different, because a lot of time it's just about settling into who you are and, and what you have. But that life that we can imagine often has important elements of what we're not being true to in terms of who we are, you know, because maybe you're not living on a mansion on the beach. Maybe you're, maybe you're living in South America. And, you know, you're, you're providing healthcare to a village, you know, or, you know, like maybe there's some vision in you that you're afraid to express because of the pressure of modern life that, you know, needs to come out and walk around a little bit, breathe. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you do some of this journaling and let's say once you zero in on something like, yes, mm-hmm. that is a desire. Yes. What then? Well, then we start testing it. You know, then we start testing it over time, you know, write some letters to your parents that you don't mail to them, uh, try, write a letter to your spouse that you don't give to them, write a letter to yourself as a young person, um, uh, walk around in the world and feel what it's like w- with that vision in you. D- is all of a sudden your job lit up because you can, because you recognize that there's a way in which you can express that vision at work? with your coworkers, you know, like maybe there's an element of service that, that, that emerges in your vision that you're not actually expressing at work. And, you know, a lot of times people's jobs are dead and dry because they are there for themselves and their families. And, you know, it's not that we don't serve our families by going off to work every day, but I find that without a service attitude and attitude towards service, anything can get dry. You can be a singer songwriter in a rock band and it can get very dry. If, you know, for me, if I'm not thinking about the people who have sent me those, uh, Facebook messages in the middle of the night saying, you saved my life, you know, it means a lot to me. And if I, if I don't think about those people in my work, the service I'm doing, then my work gets very much about uh, logistics and technical craft and, you know, money, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, and this is a theme that's come up a few times and it's amazing how easy it is to slip out of the service orientation and forget, you know, who you're enriching. Yeah. And then go focus on like what's right in front of you. Like there's 83 emails. I need to answer them all. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so, boy, when you're in that moment, what are some of your favorite ways to reconnect to the purpose and the service that's going on there? Well, I mean, me, probably like a lot of other uh, guests that you have, 
uh, I really believe in structures. I believe in autom- automating uh, your finances. I believe in spending a lot of time leveraging time management tools. I think the Franklin Covey paper planners are unbelievably powerful. You know, I think trying to organize, prioritize your life on a computer screen is on some level hopeless. That's just my opinion. I think you need a separate device. It's the same reason why I wear a watch, so I don't have to look at my phone to tell what time it is. So I think, and I think it's important to organize your email. Um, use smart folders so that you're not staring at 10 emails. You're staring at the two important emails. So I think those things are really important. But I also just find that if you are looking at your phone first thing in the morning, and you're prioritizing the world's, it's basically you're, you're putting the, the priorities of the world ahead of the priorities of yourself and your heart. You're, you know, whether it's your boss or coworkers emailing you or nonsense on Facebook, you know, the fantasies that people put up on Instagram, just all, all the, all the crap we poison ourselves with first thing in the morning, you know. Maybe we have 20, 30, 40 minutes before our kids wake up to actually be a person and figure out who we are. And I find that the most important thing is to take that time and to meditate or to journal or to exercise if, if you need to, but to do something that settles you into who you are, into yourself and what's important to you. Because otherwise, the day now we're we are off to the races and and the rest of the day doesn't belong to you it belongs to <laughs> your email box mhm okay yeah well, that's intense all right so we got some journaling we got some smart practices associated with time management yeah let's maybe just get what are two of these practices in terms sure. of like that's the most transformational and gets you the most kind of realigned to your desires and priorities what would you say are some of the biggies there? In terms of the morning practices? Well, yeah, I, I guess the morning practices as well as it sounds like I don't yet want to resign that the rest of the day is not mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how can I get a little more for me? Okay. Well, I think weekly time management is critical. Um, I, I love the Franklin Covey system where you figure out your roles and your goals so that you know what the absolute most important thing you need to do or the two most important things you need to do today as a father or as a boss or as a, you know, a spouse or as, you know, a person with a body who needs to exercise and eat, eat a certain way. I think defining those big rocks as they call them, you know, that whole metaphor of, you know, the guy comes in, he's got a jar of big rocks and gravel and sand and water. And he's like, how am I going to get all this stuff in the jar? And everyone says, no, you can't. And he's like, well, I can. But the way he does it, he puts the big rocks in first. Then he puts the gravel. Then he puts the sand. Then he puts the water. And if you don't put the big rocks in first, you can't get all of the little rocks in the jar. Mm-hmm. So it's really starting with those big rocks. And, and I find that weekly is vastly superior to daily. Daily is just really kind of keeping your head above water. It's in weekly time management that we define that we can sit back on Sunday afternoon and define the big priorities in our lives and make sure that we're taking one step forward in each one of those. And yeah, it's only one step, 
But, you know, you take one step forward in each of the main priorities, the main roles in your life, you know, one year is going to go, you're going to be a different person in one year. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, honestly, a lot, a lot, a lot of what I do in my coaching is just saying, look, we spent all this time getting clarity about, you know, these deep, long-term goals that you've been putting off for a decade and that you really want to do. Okay. Let's take the steps because we got to take the steps this week. You know, send me a picture of your weekly, of your weekly plan and I'll be holding you accountable a week from now. I think that accountability is really powerful. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say all this stuff into the microphone, but in my own life, when I want to make a shift, I hire a coach because, you know, if I would, if I could have done it, if I could have done it by myself, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. I would have do, I look, look, I have all the tools. I know what the tools are. If I haven't made the shift, it's because I, I need help. You know, we need help as people. And, um, so weekly time management. And if I had to point to one other thing, you know, other than really taking the time to get clarity of vision, you know, doing a course, you know, I just saw there's a life book course where they guide you through all this stuff. I'm like, Oh, I've been doing that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's important. It's, it's important to get clarity about, about your vision and what you really want, who you want to become, who do you want to be on? What, what do you want people to say about you, uh, at your funeral? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us are, are not on track to hit that target of who we want to be on our deathbed. And we think, well, I got to get the house paid for. You know, I got to do, you know, it's like, man, none of that stuff matters. Who you are and who you're becoming, that's what matters. That's what's going to matter to your kids, not some Swiss watch you left them, you know? So, yeah, so it's the week, it's the vision, it's the weekly planning, and then it is connecting to your soul. And and some people do that through meditation. Um, I, you know, I, I practice Zen meditation for years and, I love meditating, but I find that nowadays I, I wake up and I, I'm, I really want to get my day started. So I need something more active than meditation. So I really turn to the journaling and I find that, you know, you can get, uh, the artist's way. That's a really, you know, I've been doing those daily, those daily morning pages for years, right? Just sit down and write three pages, no matter what it is, if, even if it's like writing, writing, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write <laughs> over and over. Pretty soon you'll, you will know what to write and you'll connect to, to a source of, of, of wisdom about yourself that you didn't know was there. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm curious to hear if you think about some of your clients and the most dramatic transformations mm-hmm. that you witnessed, mm-hmm. I guess what's core to the human nature or condition when it comes to, you know, making change. And mm-hmm. it's kind of difficult for us. How do we succeed when we're kind of in the thick of it? Well, I think it's different for different people. I think it's different at different age. Uh, you know, I think we really have to honor our a lot part in the life cycle, you know, when I was in my thirties, I was working 60 hours a week. Uh, I was just killing myself to build a number of different businesses. And, and that's, that's, that's what I was interested in. And now at 50, if I say, man, I just don't have 60, I don't have a 60 hour week in me anymore. I just don't have it. You know, there's a reason for that. It's, I, I think working with people, 
um, at 18, 19, and 20, working at people in their late 30s, and then working with people um, kind of around 50 has, has helped me see that honoring life cycle place. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys hit 42, 45, they've had some success and the color just, color just goes out of the world for them. And they just, what's wrong with me? I got, I got a, you know, I got a nice relationship or I got a nice house or I got nice kids or I got a great job or whatever. But, but man, what is it? What is it that I have been neglecting all these years that hit, that now has finally caught up to me? And, you know, the solution for that is not to take testosterone and go to the gym five days a week and just try to bust your ass back down to 30 years old. You know, the solution to that is to listen to what your life cycle is pointing you towards. Um, and in doing that, that, that's where I feel like I've had a lot of success. You know, for these young people, I'm like, you know, get hungry, get passionate, make mistakes. Go make mistakes so you can learn how to fail and you can build your resilience and you can not be afraid, you know, but for someone, you know, just get out there and do it. Just take people out to lunch. Just like interrupt people in the lobby, you know, make a fool of yourself, do whatever it takes, you know, but, you know, for a man or a woman in in their fifties, it might be very much more like, Hey, maybe have you thought about working less? You know, have you thought about finding a way to stop trying to grow your career and start trying to grow your being, you know? So I don't know. I would say the specific success stories, I don't know. It's also individual. You know, sometimes guys just need to be told what incredible jerks they are. <laughs> Seriously. Like sometimes they hire me to tell them what jerks they are because they're just jerks. <laughs> And no one will tell them because everybody, if anybody tells them that they, they pay too high of a, everyone around them pays too high of a price, you know, and they're like, oh man, I really am a jerk. I'm like, yeah, maybe you should look into that. <laughs> but, uh, All right. <laughs> but, you know, we live in these isolated boxes, you know, and uh, we insulate ourselves with money from the perspective and wisdom that others have of us. And uh, it's too bad. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to get your take then in terms of how do we have less of that insulation and to get more valuable input from other people so we can see things more accurately? Yeah, that's a great question. So another way in which 18-year-olds are the same as 45-year-olds is that 45-year-olds don't take risks either. We just don't take risks, man. We just stay in our comfort zone. We don't go talk to people we don't know at a party unless we absolutely have to. We don't necessarily go take um, some online education course and, and, and take it really seriously or or have a goal and, and really hire a coach and just say, look, I'm just going to take this money and I'm going to make this shift. If it, You know, I'm going to make this shift, you know, and... I think that there are opportunities all around us that many of those opportunities lie in the service realm, in the realm of volunteers. It's like, oh, I need to spend time with my kids. Okay, well, take your kids. Take your kids and go volunteer. You know, take your kids with you and go out for a day and 
and, and do something that really helps other people in a, in a direct fashion, not just a, a write a check kind of fashion. So, you know, that, that's what I would really say is that we don't take risk. We are afraid to fail. You know, I'm afraid of signing up for that online education course that seems like really legit and like it would be speaking to exactly what I'm suffering with right now because, you know, what if I don't take the time and I waste the money? It's like, okay, so you don't take the time and waste the money. But if you did follow through, you know you would get 50 times the value back from that course. Um, So you know, oh, I'm stuck at my job and I don't know what to do about it. Oh, well, you know, there's all kinds of nonsense that shows up in my Facebook feed every single day about starting your own business. Have you tried one of those? Because maybe it's, maybe, yeah, maybe it will be nonsense and, and a scam, but maybe it would be real and you actually could like be able to quit your job or at least learn more about business, which you might be able to then bring back into your job and and, and create more value and success there. So that's what I would say is just, I don't know. It's like the richer we get as Americans, the more afraid we get and the more risk averse we get. Yeah. Boy, I don't remember the quote. I think it was uh, St. Augustine of Hippo said something about when um, we don't have wealth, we just worry about how we're going to survive and acquire it. And then when we do have it, we worry about how we might lose it. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, it's like the Buddha saying, Suffering comes from losing things and from having things because when we lose things, it's painful. And then when we have things, we're afraid of losing them. And that's painful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I also want to get your take in terms of when you're in the moment and uh, you know a certain thing needs to be done. It's on your weekly plan, by golly. Yeah. And uh, you're just not feeling it. Yeah. Uh, How do you power through? Yeah, I don't power through. Okay. That's what I don't do. When I was 30, I just powered through, man. I could just eat a big, giant wheelbarrow full of crap from morning to night all day long. <laughs> cool. You know? Image. You know? I could just <laughs> pile up those tasks and just motor through them. And, man, I just don't I, – I don't – it's – you know, partly I, I work a lot smarter now than I used to. But um, I would say uh, go for a walk. Go walk around the block. Find out who you are. Just reconnect with who you are. You'll get it done faster. I promise you. You might, oh, I don't have time. Yeah, you have time. You have time to look at Instagram. You have time to waste your time returning emails that if you actually like were a little bit more centered, you would recognize should be ignored. So that's what I try to do more and more and more. I try to settle into who I am rather than what I have to do, what I'm trying to get. If I can settle into who I am, so much stuff falls away. So much stuff that doesn't need to be dealt with and certainly doesn't need to be dealt with in the kind of unskillful fire setting ways that <laughs> happen when I, you know, just jump on it and I'm going to just crank through this stuff, you know? <laughs> well, I guess I'm thinking certainly there's many things that we'd be better off not doing yeah. uh, that don't fit us and need to go. So I'm right with you there. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking like if you've been through all the, process associated with the journaling and the mm-hmm. pondering and the identifying of a desire. And yes, this is very important. Yes. And then this, this is the key step I need to take in order to do that. And then it's the moment that you've calendared for yourself to do that. Yes. And you're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. Yeah. Then what? 
I mean, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I'm building a new business right now over the last few years. So this, this new education business uh, for, for young people and it's a whole new world. You know, I talk to people and they're like, oh, you're kind of making a new thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm making a new thing. There's nothing I can go out and just rip off. It's it's very disheartening in moments, you know, uh, it's uh, and when I run up against that, if I have the presence of mind to think of my clients, to think about their lives, to think about um, the struggles that they have, to think about some of my clients that are a year or two out, out of the program and the lives that they're living and the messages that I get from them and where they were when they started. And I think about, man, if I hadn't, uh, kind of done this weird thing and put a bunch of time into developing something that I had no idea whether it would work, um, that kid would still be, you know, in her parents' basement, in conflict with her parents about wanting to do something that she didn't really know what it was, or, you know, she might be, you know, still using drugs or whatever. It's like, I just get so stuck when I'm in myself and for myself. And I even extend that, even thinking about my son or my family, it's like, my son is kind of, in, in certain ways, an extension of myself. I'm doing this for my family. It's like, yeah, you're doing it for your family, but there's a way in which your family is an extension of yourself. Mm-hmm. And if I can take myself and decenter my perspective a little bit so that I'm thinking about my clients, uh, I'm thinking about my collaborators, I think about my mentors, how much they've invested in me, so I, on the one hand, I'm contradicting myself. I'm saying, yeah, this all should really come from your deepest internal vision. But I tell you, if, if your deepest internal vision doesn't, doesn't have a service portion, if it, if it doesn't encapsulate something, you know, especially if you're getting up there in, in years, if you're not giving back on some level, it's not going to do it for you. And the day-to-day process of executing that vision is also not going to do it for you if you lose sight of the people that you're here to serve. So that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Paul, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. <laughs> no, I think I've been running my mouth a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, then could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Something that I find inspiring. As a quote, yeah. Well, I think I mentioned it earlier, which is a quote from the coach that I, I, I worked with and who kind of trained me to, to be a coach. Um, you know, he would say, if you were going to do it, you would have done it. If you could have done it by yourself, you would have done it by yourself. And so really we need help. We need help. We need help from our friends, man. We need, we need help from our enemies. <laughs> we need help from people who have the hard truth to tell us, you know, um, our nemesis at work or, uh, the, the spouse that we're in conflict. We, we need help from them. We need help from allies, uh, from coaches, from mentors. And if we can bring ourselves to reach out, God, I tell you, it's, it's like pulling teeth to get these kids to ask, even just family friends out for lunch, let alone potential mentors. It's one of the biggest things that I have to get them over. And then I say to myself, yeah, but you're the same way. You're the same way. There's people you know that could help you that you're reticent to reach out to and, and ask for help. So 
Um, I really try to, and when they have big breakthroughs, I really try to take that as a model for myself of, you know, reaching out. If you could have done it by yourself, you would have done it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Well, I got to say, I, I still really love The War of Art. Um, I'm sure a lot of people say that on here, but uh, it's kind of a masculine book. There's a lot of push to it, but in the spirit of, of reaching out and getting help, like that book is a resource where you can reach out and you can get help and you can be reminded that the thing you are resisting, you are resisting for a reason and that that reason may very well be because it's the thing you need to do. And we're just scared of failing. We're scared of, you know, in a way we're scared of being committed. I mean, everything I've been talking about is just about commitment, basically. And when you commit to something, it's scary because now you're all in. So uh, that book can really help support that process of getting all in and uh, rushing forward. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Well, <laughs> if I had to mention the habit that I like the most, I would have to say bulletproof coffee. I really don't like to eat in the morning. And uh, having having a cup of coffee with a bunch of fat in it allows me to get from when I wake up to when I actually want to eat, which is not usually until 11 or 12. So uh, that is a good habit. It's probably not a habit. It's more of an addiction. So here, I'll, I'll try to do better. My favorite habit is to wake up in the morning and do something that provides a framework for me to, you know, in which I can feel what I feel because, you know, I wake up in all kinds of things, a weird dream, financial, uh, relationship, parenting, business concerns. And if I can just either through journaling or by meditation or by a kind of guided internal process, I can come to a place in which I feel what I actually feel, then that's really valuable. All right. Thank you. And uh, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So my website is pauldurham, D-U-R-H-A-M.com. And from there, you can go to year one, which is my program for 18 to 24 year olds who want to take a gap year from college or who know they don't want to go to college and are interested in forging a creative career through an apprenticeship model. Or uh, you can connect to my coaching page, which I think I only have up because my GoDaddy client said he needed a, <laughs> I needed to have a, a coaching, I needed to have a website. <laughs> All my clients have come through word of mouth. So yes, so I have a, a, a small website there as well. And then you can also connect to my band, uh, Black Lab. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. If you're seeking to be awesome at your job, your coworkers are your number one resource. And the obstacle to accessing that resource is your pride and your fear. Like your coworkers know who you are. They know what your strengths are. They know what your weaknesses are. And they can help you grow 
and develop. They can tell you strengths that you don't even know that you have that you, you could really be capitalizing on. And they know the weaknesses that are crippling you and that are the reason why you didn't get that promotion. And so if, if, if we can stop treating our coworkers as those neurotic annoyances in our life, and instead start looking them as uh, valuable mentors. You know, even if they're 20 years younger and dumber and more arrogant than you are, if we can just take them out to lunch or, you know, take them out to a nice lunch and say, I want to take you out to lunch and pick your brain because I want to know what you think I could do better at work. You make yourself vulnerable in that way. You will be awesome at work. All right, Paul, this has been a lot of fun. I wish you lots of luck in your adventures and music and all you're up to. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pete. I really enjoyed it. I really dug the chat with Paul on a couple levels. One is his assertion that it makes all the difference to do your journaling by hand as opposed to keyboard because of the wisdom of the body. And I thought that was a good way to put it. I've heard that elsewhere. And I think he really cemented that for me. So. I'm going on a little camping trip shortly, and I look forward to doing some journaling by hand because we're not going to have much wireless connectivity anyway. I also really dug his take that if you could have done it by yourself, you would have done it by yourself. And that really just got me thinking, like, is that true? And I think the answer is mostly yes. There might be some extraordinary exceptions like, well, no, I just now thought of doing it. (laughs) There was no past that I could reference and see that I've fallen short. Or I actually had no idea just how important this was until recently. It has come to light in an exceptional and extraordinary way. But if you're just kind of stuck, like I've wanted this for a while, I've taken a few cracks at it and I just haven't gotten it, then yeah, I think that totally, totally plays out. So good stuff from Paul, good advice with regard to getting some assistance, some coaching, some training. Hey, I'm into that. I deliver that. Holler at me. Peter Awesome at yourjob.com. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesome at yourjob.com slash F467. Or you can click that right in your podcast player app. If you expand the show notes or episode notes, or show description or episode description, you can expand and click to get right to the goods all the faster with fewer taps. If you haven't already, I hope you'll also punch subscribe in that podcast app player of choice. You'll catch our next guest. It is Bill Treasurer. He's got some pro tips about how to boost your courage. Until next time, peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.